Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Just like he saved the Jews with great purpose, he has saved you with great purpose. God has a plan for your life. And the more you yield to him, the more clear his plan becomes. And if I can tell you anything, you guys, nothing more fulfilling in this life than walking out the plan of God. Just walking in that which he created you, gifted you, called you to do. There's, there's, there's nothing more fulfilling than that. And there's nothing more empty than perusing around this world and, and functioning outside of your purpose. Pastor Bill explains today that not only did God save you, but he also has a plan for you. It can be easy to acknowledge that we've been saved, but then go on living as if nothing has changed. But when we do that, we're rejecting what God has in store for us. If we live our life without the purpose God has set for us, we will experience emptiness. But if we choose to seek God's plan for our life, we can experience fulfillment unlike anything else. Pastor Bill challenges you to seek God's plan for your life. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 9 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Paul ended Romans 8 telling us how that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And he gave all these illustrations, no height, death, demons, principalities, powers, nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. It just was as emphatic as you can be, letting you and me know that God loves you with a different kind of love. Nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you. Now, He's been speaking to us as Gentiles. And I got to explain that for those that maybe don't understand. How many of you guys here know that you're a Gentile when the Bible talks about Jews and Gentiles? All right. There's just two groups in the Bible. They're Jews. They're Gentiles. We're not Jewish people. We're, we're not from Israel. We didn't grow up following Jewish custom. You're a Gentile. There's both groups. Both groups need Jesus. Both groups need to be saved. But God initially came to what group? The Jews. He came to them first. And he chose them as his own chosen people. He lavished his love upon them. They experienced, we'll see in this chapter, the kabod, the glory of God. They, they interacted with the living God. But did at large, did the Jews choose him back? Not to this day. They didn't choose him back. Does God still love them? He does. Does he still have a plan for them? He does. For you guys that were with us in our study in the book of Revelation, we see that the 144,000 are not Jehovah's Witnesses. They're Jews that get saved during the tribulation period and go out witnessing. And so God has a plan for them that even goes into the end times, into the future. He's not done with the Jews. He loves them. They just don't love him at large right now. They're, they're Jewish people that get saved, but at large, the Jewish people have rejected Jesus. So as we come to chapter 9, I just want to give that background because... Chapters 9 through 11, which we're not covering all that today, we do look a lot at the Jewish people. And this is what I believe Paul is doing. He just told us there's nothing separation the love of God. All things working together for the good. There's no kind. He just given the, the for the Gentile. If you weren't built up in chapter eight, you spiritually did. I mean, he just we got fed and ministered to and encouraged and strengthened. And now he's coming and using Jew, the Jews as an illustration. And if that's not enough, if if everything I said in chapter eight doesn't bring it to home that God loves you, I'm going to use the Jews to show you the way God loves. I'm going to use a group of people that at large have said this to Jesus and how he still pursues him. And how he still goes after them. And now when they turn to him, he says, okay. I mean, every time in the Jewish history where they finally get beat up enough for going the wrong way 
and they turn back and say, God, we sorry. Every time, what does God do? He receives them back. And he just so. So what, what Paul's intending to do through this is to encourage you and I, because if God will do that for them, then you and me ought to be really encouraged. I'm looking at the people that he chose first saying, well, every time they turn back, God receives them. So for the believer, when you mess up, can you come back to the Lord? Should you be having a pity party saying, I messed up, I can't go, I, I'm not even going to pray, I can't read my Bible, I'm not going to go to church for a month. No, we're looking at, we have illustrations in scripture where God said, if you just come back, we'll start over. I'm merciful, I'm forgiving, I'm gracious, I, I love you more than you understand. And so that's some of what we're going to see here in Romans chapter 9. And I just this one thing I thought of in the way of illustration, now I have kids of my own, so... But, but I would imagine this, if someone were going, someone were in a position where they were going to be being adopted into a family. Say you were a kid and you had no parents and you were going to be adopted into someone's family and you saw that the person that's going to adopt you got real kids. But they got, everybody seen bad kids before? They got bad kids. I mean, their kids are bad. They don't obey. They run amok. They disobedient. And you're looking at this potential adoptee parent and you're saying, look how gracious they are to their bad kids. I mean, they're merciful, they're patient, they're, it'd be encouraging to you, especially if you know you're a good kid, especially if your intention, if you're coming saying, I can't wait to have a mom and dad and I want to do what they say and I want to please them. And if you're coming like that and you're looking at how well they treat their bad kids, it would be encouraging. And that's kind of the position of the Gentile church. We're looking at how God does the Jews and we're saying, I mean, he chose them first and it's look how good he is to them. Then we had to be able to come in behind and say, we, we've learned about the nature of our God through Israel. Amen. So now look at chapter, we'll read verses one through three and look at chapter nine, verses one through three of Romans. It says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. So Paul opens up this kind of heavy. He says, I, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness. Why is he having to say all these things? He's, he's being very, not dramatic, but emphatic. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness. I mean, the hope with the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not making this up and I'm not being over, over the top. He says, I have a continual sorrow. And great grief in my heart. This is what Paul was going through. Paul was saying, look, I'm a Jew. And Paul's been having this great ministry with the Gentiles. And he's going to have even greater ministry with the Gentiles. But Paul is saying, man, my own people, my own countrymen, like I want to see them saved. You know, I, I want to see the people that, you know, now that I'm saved and I know this, I want to I want to go back and see the people that that I know saved. And he just has this burden. That's a continual grief and a burden as I'm looking at them. They're still where I was. Remember, Paul was lost in Jewish religion. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he's saying, man, I'm, I want to see them saved so bad. And I, I, I can't say to the same degree, but I remember when I got saved and I start looking back at all my fellas and all the guys that we grew up with and all this stuff. There was a big part of my heart that I wanted so bad. To be able to, I've always wished I could go back to high school and start over. Like, I want to go back to high school, say, not, not go, not all over, but you know, because I just do the whole same junk over again. But if I can go back to high school, say, my mind says, boy, I could have really done something for the Lord, you know? 
And when we started the men's study, before we started Calvary Chapel Inglewood, that was a bunch of us that grew up together. At, you know, Dre, I went to school with Dre and Jim and I knew Lance back in high school. A bunch of these guys that we would meet up at Dre's house and get into the word. The heart back then was, man, God, can you let me do something for you where I used to tear up? You know, I, I want to see something. I want to see God wants you to do something through me here. Paul is even in a greater way saying, God, please. But he says something that I've never said. Now, I never said this. I never said, God, I want to see my old friends saved so bad that I'd be willing to go to hell so they can be saved. I love y'all, but there's some limitations on my love. I ain't never said that. But I want you to listen to what Paul says in verse three. He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul said, I, now I want to point out when he says I could wish, Paul knows that this isn't a possibility. But he's expressing his heart. He said, I'd be willing. I'd be willing to, to be damned to hell. That's what, a, that's what a curse means. I'd be willing to do that, that they could be saved at large. Somebody else said this. If you're writing notes, write down Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 and 32. If you guys remember the story with Moses, when he was up getting the law from God and Aaron had, you know, the people got with Aaron and they built the golden calf and they was dancing around the old calf, having their party. And when Moses came down the hill and saw it, he was mad and he threw the, the, the tablets of stone down. And he went down there and then God was about ready to smoke all the people. And Moses interceded for them. And Moses said something interesting. God, he told Moses said to God in those two verses, Exodus 32, 31 and 32. Said, if you won't forgive them, then block my name out of your book. And I, I read those things and I'm thinking, I ain't never asked God to block my name. I said, Lord, can you double check? Make sure I'm in there. Can you highlight me? You know, can I can I get a fax copy to make sure I'm where I'm? You know, I've never said this, but this is what I want to point out. How do you develop that kind of heart? Because in both cases, Paul and Moses, if you read the stories, in both cases, the people that they're willing to be separated from God for are people that don't even like them. Paul's biggest enemies when he got saved and started sharing the true gospel was his countrymen, the Jews. That's who persecuted him. That's who disagreed with his message. Those are the people that were giving him a hard time. Moses, who was, you know, leading for God, who gave Moses the greatest grief? The people he was leading. You brought us out here to kill us. We should have left us in Egypt. You know, they, they just complain nonstop. And so something that I thought we should definitely point out and look at. How do you develop a heart that loves those that don't even like you to the point where you're willing to suffer, to the point where you're willing to give up important things that they might be saved? How do you develop that kind of heart? How do you get there? Because everybody here, everybody here got some people you don't like that much. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't point them out if they in here. But everybody, you know, most of us do. Most of us have some people that that not our favorite people. Maybe some of you got hot enemies. Like I, I say, who you don't like? And right now they're they're just you got a picture of them right there, and they, and you don't like them at all, not even a little bit. How do you get that kind of heart for those? Because you need to have that heart. It's important. And I believe two things. One, I believe it's absolutely a work of the Holy Spirit that God does in us. But I also believe it's something that is developed. That's cultivated in our hearts as we pray. And if you're writing notes, I'd like you to write down another important verse, important for every Christian. Write down Matthew chapter five, verse 44. I'm going to read it to you. Jesus, knowing that believers would have enemies, that we'd have people that weren't on the favorite list, that we'd have people that didn't treat us well. 
didn't want us to respond like people that don't know God, right? If you're not saved and somebody don't like you, what's the, what's the normal response? I don't like you either. If you're in the world and somebody treats you bad, what's the normal response? I'll treat you a little worse, you know? Disrespect me, I'm going to disrespect you. You know, touch me, I'll sock you. You know, like, if that's, that's in the world, that's how people do. Then you come to Christ, and God says, hey, the rules are all different in my kingdom. We're different here. And I want you to listen to this in Matthew 5, 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, that's what they say. But that's not true. That's not what I want. Verse 44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Everybody, can I give you a memory verse this week? Everybody, that's your memory verse. Matthew 5, 44. I want you to think about what this is saying. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to bless those that are your enemies. I want you to love them. Right. Those that have set themselves up against you. Those who don't have a heart for you. Those that do mean things to you. God says, I want you to choose to love. Everybody know love is a choice. If you didn't know it, you know it now. Love's not an emotion. Right. When married people say, I fell out of love. No, you didn't. You stopped choosing to love. Everybody love is a choice. That's how come you can have a mother with a bad kid, but she love them. She choosing to love them. God said, I want you to choose to love your enemies because when you were an enemy to Christ, guess what? He chose to love you. Romans 5, 8. God said, I want you to love your enemies. Then he says, I want you to bless those who curse you. So those that speak bad about you, you might hear God people that talk bad about you. Don't raise your hand. But if you do, God, this is what you do for those that curse you. Those that speak poorly of you. He says, bless them. Do you know what it means to bless them? It means to actively do good toward them. Blessing them is not, it's not something you, it's not something you say. If I'm going to bless you, I means I got to actively do something. I was speaking to somebody in our fellowship and I won't point them out. You would never know who they are, but they had somebody at work that cursed them, that didn't treat them good. And I said, well, what do you notice that they like? Well, they always are coming in with Starbucks. I said, go buy them a Starbucks card. I mean, and, and, and don't just put $5 on it either. I mean, go get a Starbucks card, write a nice note and put it with it. Just go and, and give that to them. And it was like, no, I'm not, I'm not I'm telling you that. Bless them. Bless them. They curse you. Blow you away. And, and it was very effective. They, that person was blown away because they know they're not right. God says, bless those that curse you. It does something for you. They might even respond well, but it does something for your heart. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And then he says this, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And this is, this is what you'll find. It's very difficult to have active hatred towards someone that you're praying for regularly. You know what will happen as you pray for them? You'll start to feel compassion towards them. Even though they haven't changed a thing. Even though nothing different is happening to them, there'll be a heart of compassion. There'll be a heart that says, man, that must be tough on them to be in that place. You'll, you'll just begin to have a soft heart, a heart like Christ towards them. And so you want to pray for your enemies. And so how did Paul develop this heart for the Jewish people that didn't really like him? He's praying for them. How do we know that? We'll learn it next week in Romans chapter 10, where he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So in chapter 10, verse one, Paul opens that up and said, I've been praying for them. That's how we developed that. How did Moses develop the heart he had? He was constantly interceding for them. As you go through the story in Exodus, Moses is the one interceding for this, this, this group of folks. And so I would like you to write down right now, even as you're sitting here, if you got people on your list, people that you say, you know what, they, I got some people I need to pray for, write their names down. And, and, and don't just, don't leave that here at church today, man. Really take that to heart. 
I need to start praying for them so that God can change me. And that's the last thing I'm going to say on this. You don't pray for people that they change. That's how some of y'all pray. God, I pray you help them to get their attitude together so I can deal with them. God's like, no, no, you're missing the point, son. Daughter, you're missing the point. Pray for them that, that, that I might change you. And as you pray for them, let God change your heart. Don't pray for people to change. Pray that God change you. Pray that God give you his heart for them. Amen? And so moving on now, look at verse 4. Paul says, who are Israelites? So after he just, in verse 3, he said that, you know, I, I could wish myself were a curse to Christ, my brother, my countrymen, according to the flesh. And that's how we know they're Jews who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises. And this is what I want to point out in verse 4. One thing we know about the Jews is that, well, two things. One, they were chosen by God, but they were chosen with great purpose, right? God chose them. We know from other places in the word, God didn't choose them because of anything great in them. There was nothing about them. God said, I didn't choose you because you were great in number or you were more than other people. I just chose you, right? I just chose to display my love towards you. But, but in choosing them, God gave them great responsibility, great purpose. This is what the choose did. To them pertain the adoption, the glory. If you guys read back in your Old Testament, the Jews had experienced the glory, the, the, we call it this, in the, in the Hebrew, it's the kabod of God. And if you look at how God led them, when they were in the desert, God led them. How did he lead them? He put a cloud over, over them by day. So in the middle of the day, there's a big old cloud blocking the sun. And God said, just stay where that, wherever that cloud goes, you go. And so he guided them during the day. What did he do at night? The pillar of fire. God's presence there with them continually. The glory of God. They experienced it. God said, I, I did that for you guys. I mean, you guys experienced me in a way that most people have not. The covenants. The giving of the law, the, the, the law was given to them and then the service of God and the promises. God said, I gave you guys great purpose. I don't want to skip over this, but I, I want to remind you guys that God has also chosen you and God has chosen me and God has chosen us with great purpose as well. And if you're here, you're saved. You say, I know God's chosen me. I know I belong to the Lord. Know that he's also chosen you with purpose. There's something for you to do. There's some God didn't just choose you, you guys. No, nobody here. Did, God never chose someone just to say you belong to me. I just I just wanted to, I just wanted the extra kid. I just chose you because I just want to I just wanted you on my team. God chose you with purpose. There's something for you to do. And many of us are walking in that purpose. But maybe some of you are not. Maybe some of you, as you listen to this right now, you say, man, I do not have a real grasp of God's call, God's purpose, God's plan for my life. I'm going to encourage you to pray about that today. If you're here and you do have a sense of what God wants, but maybe you're not living in such a way that you can fulfill it. Maybe you're not you're not giving yourself. Maybe you don't want to do it. Maybe you're a Jonah and maybe some Jonah's here today where God, you, you know, there's great purpose. God has even give you glimpses or clear direction as to what it is. And you're like, I don't want to do that. If I do that, I can't do all the stuff I want to do. Don't be a Jonah. You'd be in the bottom of somebody's boat somewhere. You'd be over. You'd be overboard in the belly of a fish. You'd be somewhere hot and stank. Some at some point. Don't be a Jonah. You know, you, you, what you'll do is waste time like Jonah did. And after wasting time that you don't get back and after enduring unnecessary hardship and he finally comes back to the Lord. The Lord says it says and the word of the Lord came to Jonah again the second time. And God said the same thing. And some of you guys are just in that place. You know, God's called you. You know, there's a purpose upon your life. But because you're not moving in it, pursuing it, and you're wasting time, 
And you're going to endure unnecessary hardship and you're finally going to be broken and repent. And when you come all the way around from all of that mess and say, God, OK, God's going to say, I ain't changed my mind about what I want to do with you. So you might as well get on board with his program now. Amen. Amen. And so if you're Jonah, get out the boat, turn it around now. So just like he saved the Jews with great purpose, he has saved you with great purpose. God has a plan for your life. And the more you yield to him the more clear his plan becomes. And if I can tell you anything, you guys, nothing more fulfilling in this life than walking out the plan of God. Just walking in that which he created you, gifted you, called you to do. There's, there's, there's nothing more fulfilling than that. And there's nothing more empty than perusing around this world and, and functioning outside of your purpose. Or living like you have no purpose trying just trying random stuff my friend said that was i'm gonna try that too oh that looks fun over here that's how some people live their life they're just looking around and oh that looks i'm gonna try that oh and i want to try to take that class and they're just popping around trying stuff you could do that till you're 80 and still be like i don't know what i did with this life it's gone it's happening i'm 80 not if you're 80 you're gone but a lot of it's gone i mean it's not a whole lot left after 80 and Unless you was in Genesis. So don't don't waste time. So moving on. Look at verse verse five. It says of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall and eternally blessed God. Amen. Another important factor is that God came through the Jews. So part of what was so great about them is that it was through their lineage. It was through their line that the Messiah would come. And God said, this, all these things are they're significant, they're important, they're things that God has done through them. Verse 6 now, but it is not that the word of God has, been, has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. And here God says, look, it's not that the word of God is of no effect or has taken no effect. Anybody ever seen somebody that's been under the word, around the word, in the word, but it looked like it's not having any effect at all? That's the Jews. And he says here, not all who are called Israel are Israel. I can say the same thing. Not everybody that say they're Christian is a Christian. How do you figure out the difference? Because if they are a Christian, the word of God will take effect. If the word of God takes no effect, then you're probably not a Christian. How do we know that? James said, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. What? deceiving yourself, deceiving yourself into what? Deceiving yourself into thinking you're okay when you're not okay, right? What's the evidence that I'm saved? The word of God will have an effect on my life. Jesus, when he spoke in Matthew chapter seven and he was given a distinction between those that went to heaven and those that didn't, those that were saved and those that weren't, he said, hey, those who hear these sayings of mine and don't do them will be like the foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rains came and the, the, the storms of life came and it all fell down. The wise man is the one that hears the word of God and does it and, and does what it says. This one will endure the storms and everything else and his house will stand. But then he said this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that says Jesus is Lord. It's a whole lot of people that call him Lord, but they don't live under his lordship. He says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But, but who? He who does the will of my father in heaven. And he gave another example. He said there are going to be people that come to him in that day, the day of judgment, that final day, when it's too late to get right. And they're going to come and say, Lord, you know, I, I went to church. Lord, I prophesied. Lord, I cast out demons. Lord, I did many wonders in your name. And Jesus is going to say to them, I, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What, what identified the non-believer? The fact that they practiced, they habitually lived in disobedience. And so if you're a person that's regularly under the word of God, you think you're a believer, you think you're a Christian, do you obey God? Has the word of God taken effect on your life? been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on a transforming word as he works his way through the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul dove into the mysteries of faith in this letter to the church in Rome, drawing on a rich history found in the Old Testament. He looks back to the faith of Abraham, which was counted to him as righteousness. This is what he had to say about the patriarch in chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Since we get to participate in the righteousness that comes through faith, let's set our hearts and minds on the power of God to do everything he had promised. We're so glad you decided to spend your time with us today. There's so much more that Paul gave us through the letter to the Romans, from deep theology to practical instructions on how to live. You won't want to miss a message, and we've made it easy for you to stay connected through Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. But we also have a free mobile app with access to our messages. To find out, head over to calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Look under the media tab to find a plethora of messages in our mobile app. While you're on the website, take a look around. We have a lot more available to you, including a daily Bible reading plan. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll see you here next time where we will again bring you a transforming word.